A Show of Hands, written by Carmel Recknitzer, performed by Jacob Hodson, art by Flygore, music by Bradley Kirkendall. Fellow members of the forum, I won't open this speech by calling on the favor of any artsy gods. I'm on stage, but this isn't art. This is a story, but it's true. This is a story about us, about our city, about what I did to it. This is a confession. No, it's a trial. It's a trial because it's a story about votes, about voting. At the end, I'm going to ask you all to vote. I'm going to ask you all to vote about me, about whether what I did was wrong, and I'm not a coward. I'm taking your opinions seriously. Vote to set me free, or vote to hang me. I'll die eventually. I'll hear what wise Atelietos and Dorman Syncomedies have to think of me. No escaping that, but it's the mortal opinion I cherish. I want a trial by a jury of my peers. The gods, they decide who wins. They decide who gets rich and eats fat. I don't trust them on moral authority. Hang me for that. Hang me for blasphemy. I could be very wrong about that, too. But let's run right past the theological and philosophical. I have an hour and a half of your time. So who am I? And what did I do? In brief, I was involved in Tyrant Krosos' rise to power. I was his fixer and problem solver. I bribed for him, rigged the vote for him, and I thought we would make the world a better place together. I was very wrong. Hang me for that. I betrayed him. Despite swearing him my blood, my word, my hands, hang me for that. I gave him broken and screaming to Golden Ecleta so that she might slay him, and like she was prophesied to do, she speared him in the name of the goddess Ithesis. And when she spoke of ruling fairly in his place, I was the end of her too. I know you all loved her. I wish I could have loved her too. How simple and clear this would all be. I wish. But I believe in the vote. I believe that no one, not the gods, and not the chosen of the gods, can put their boot to our back, not without our express fucking permission. Hang me for that. Hang me for it. Hang me for it. But I'm going to beg you to listen. Because I think I did the right thing. And nine times out of ten, I think you guys vote me dead. And I get that. I do. But that other one time out of ten, I tell this story right. And tonight, tonight, I'm going to. So listen. And spare me. Vindicate me. Shit, man. I don't know. I don't know that what I did was right. But I won't live under someone's boot. Enough repeating myself. Let's get going fast. So, the vote. Do you all remember where that comes from? The shit that's supposed to keep us free? Crash course, real quick, for the young folk in the audience. I think I can nail this in ten minutes. Ten minutes to compress four hundred bloody years. But it explains why I did what I did. And that's important. The why. Four hundred years ago, we have ourselves this top-tier greedy guy, Monstrous Atreus. A rich and powerful man turned sour as vinegar because he was a step below king. Drowning in wealth, he stole from others, and the guy still needs more, but he's old, he's decrepit, he can't fight. So he decides if he can't have it all, his children will. 
He wasn't afraid to do the worst, to forge a family crown, so he cuts a deal. The easiest and bloodiest one he can find. Because Ithesus, Lady of Bronze, and her brother, Acacius, King of all the Seas, they're going to ask for something big. They're big gods. They'd want their faces carved in mountains. They'd want flowers plucked from the realm of death. They'd ask him for something poetic and impossible like capital T truth or a telicized justice. Whatever, those two are impossible to please. Atreus is an old dog and he's not going to learn how to jump through new hoops. He knows how to whisper and how to kill. So Atreus comes to the feet of the furnace of death. Crawls to kiss the sandals of conquering Drakai. And what a god conquering Drakai is. Eight feet tall, no flesh, bones, bronze, gemstones, dudes carved out of precious rocks. See, Ithesis smithed herself a son. And she made the most opulent, oversized, angry mama's boy in the cosmos. Atreus goes up to this guy and he begs him, make my son a king. And I get that. I do, but it's such bullshit, isn't it? Someone's born a king, and it's just them that's in charge now. Just them, and you missed your chance before you were born. Everyone else did too. The rest of you are slaves and peons, and you have to work for your bread. And even if you're one of the select few living in luxury, the king can just come and take it all away. There's no being safe when someone else is king over you. So Atreus, the coward, the absolute coward, he doesn't wish that there won't be kings. He doesn't wish for anything smart, anything decent. He decides he's old and miserable, and he won't live long enough to make use of a better world, so he wishes his son will be king. Wishes his son, Eclaton, could put the boot to everyone's back, that same boot that kept Atreus in the mud. Pathetic. And conquering Drakai says, yes. He says, go make war on Morania. Find me the eight most beautiful daughters of their city. Pluck them from their looms and olive groves and slit their throats upon the soil. Spill their blood on the soil and make sure none of it goes to Acacius's sacred sea. Not a drop. For each woman you give me, Atreus, I'll give you and yours 50 years of prosperity and power. Guess what that coward Atreus does? He whispers in his king's ear, reads insults in every emissary's note, breaks every act of diplomacy. And the king gathers his host, and they invade. And coward Atreus tries to do his master's bidding, and gets oceans of blood on his hands. It's not eight, like the bards claim. That's bad math. Atreus has the blood of every soldier killed, every farmer slain in his field, every child bound in chains. All that blood is his. Not a man had to die if it wasn't for his twisted ambitions. But he does like his rotten god asked of him, and he finds eight beautiful women, and he slits their throats, drains them into hard rock so none of it might find the peace of sinking deep into the sacred sea. Disgusting. Can you imagine... Can you imagine if I did that today, if I'd been found out killing eight women for political gain? You all wouldn't be letting me finish. You'd have me drawn, quartered, and burned the minute the word spreads. But, 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 here's where Atreus makes the mistake. 
Atreus picked eight beautiful women, but conquering Drakai is a lecher obsessed with legalese. He wanted the eight most beautiful women. Atreus, maybe he was a shit judge of beauty, I don't know. I think beauty's a subjective damn thing. But he grabs eight women, and conquering Drakai is insulted. Apparently, Atreus grabbed Miss Two through Miss Nine left the most beautiful woman of them all to be captured and married to his king, the king his son would depose. So why even bother? I don't know. I wasn't there, that idiot. Imagine deciding to be that evil and failing so hard. But maybe that's what I did. Maybe that's what I did. So maybe I relax. Give him a break. I'm about to find out if I should be hanged, so what's the difference between a hanged murderer and a hanged... Mass murderer, it's the same noose. Anyhow, Atreus messes it up. Conquering Drakai gets mad, gets big old red-hot mad, and curses Atreus' sons to a broken throne instead. Atreus fathers a son, Eklaton. Does that name sound familiar? It should. It should. He fathers Eklaton. And Eklaton becomes king, and Eklaton breaks the throne upon which he sits because he has 19 children! I'm not going to list them. They don't matter. What matters is, one is the most cunning. One is the strongest. One is the most fair. One is the most loved. One is the most just. One is wisest. Holy shit! How do you pick? Out of 19, how do you decide who sits the next throne? Well, it's assassinations, wars, and poisonings the whole way down. And it's never just brother and sister. Those greedy spawns of Eklaton dragged the rest of us, the peons and slaves, into it. We died too. And eventually, we have enough. How many of us are dead? Too many. And who's left to sit the throne? A war-torn madman. His brother so full of venom and toxin, he's immune to whatever laces his cup. Their sister, who kept a necklace of her conquered sibling's fingers around her neck. Who wants that? Who benefits from people like that ruling over you? Telling you how to live, what to farm, how much you owe them every month. And we decide enough. We aren't giving anyone a spot of power just for a name, or a prophecy, or women's blood spilled in vain. We decide that we are going to decide for once. For the first time in human history, we vote. The 26 tribes come together and choose democratically who's in the captain's seat. I'm reminding you of the story for a reason. For a big old reason, because I believe in voting. Voting so that we don't end up with thugs for rulers. That is why I did exactly what I did. Didn't work out as intended with Krosos, but those were my intentions. For whatever that's worth. But here's the history, right? Drakai still owes Atreus' spawn 400 years of fortune. So they aren't disappearing from the record. They are rich with bronze plucked from conquering Drakai's flesh. Rich with gemstones spurred out of his worthless, murderous, godly cock. And if that's a step too far, hang me for language. So they're rich, and they keep getting votes. 400 years and 300 and a smidge of them, we vote in some relative of Eclatons. Why? Why reward that messed up shit? But that's the... What's the big fancy word? Gauche? Blase? Is it blase for me to criticize you for voting for Eclaton's sons and granddaughters? After all, I rigged the vote in Krosos' favor, didn't I? Worthless gods, this is going to be an hour and a half of me being a massive hypocrite. And I grew up with those stories. And I grew up without a home. I grew up without a mother. 
My father's back was bent and broken from hauling timber, and I was busy cutting sail at the dockyard so the two of us could eat. We were two of the homeless and landless, the driftwood craftsmen floating from one dock to the next, sleeping at our workbenches. That's who I was. So you understand why I'm so bitter. And I grew up with those stories, and I do the basic math. When I turn 15, that's the first vote. That's the first vote after Atreus has promised 400. After Eclaton's blood should be out and out again, cast as far away from the seats of power as can be. And you know what you frog-faced numbskulls do? How many of you in the crowd remember? I shouldn't curse you all out. I don't know how many of you here today voted back then, ten years ago. I don't know. But some of you did. And we ended up with Lucos and Proctus standing as two out of three parts of the city's highest council. Eclaton's 400 bloody years are over, and two of his descendants got their asses in past the ballot. And in shock and anguish, all I can think is, why? Why would we give so much power to the richest brothers in the city? To Lucos, piggish king of gluttons. And to Proctus, a man fervently devoted to his lecherous and weasley loins. The pig and weasel, they have all the power a man could dream of. And we voted to just meekly hand them more inexcusable. Or it would be, if it wasn't for what I did. If it wasn't for the fact I gave Tyrant Krosos the reins right after them. So that's, that's the game board. That's the state of things when I start. That's why I bring up the history lesson so you all know what I'm thinking about. What I'm feeling, what drives me. So you understand I started from a good place. Democracy had failed me and I was going to fix it. So here's the first part where I enter in. The market fire. Uh, wait, no, before I forget, here's the other pieces real quick. So we know the board. There's a lot of mythology now about Krosos. At the time, he was a wealthy man, one of the few wealthy men in the city with not a drop of Eclaton's blue blood. Not related. Or I'd never have helped him. But he's loaded. He's got vistas and gardens and stone-roofed homes for his slaves. He's got soldiers. He's got buckets of cold, hard cash, but he doesn't have a council seat. And he doesn't have a congressional seat or a military post or a judge's bench. Guy has no political power. He's the only person in town who's rich and doesn't have politics to him. So he's hungry. And he wants in. And in the shade of Atreus's big bloody family tree is Ecleta. Notice the name? How did you all ignore the name Ecleta? Descendant princess of Eclatons would have been queens. She's a minor branch, but she's got that blue blood. And fuck anyone, including Ithesis, who cared about that. Who cared about her lineage. Ecleta was good. Was a great person, even. But her lineage had no part in it. At the time? At the time, she's the same age as me, but she's a wastrel. She's dancing in her father's garden, singing, doesn't know the world is rough. See, the poets say tragedy is a person born high and brought low by their own fatal flaws. At the end of this, the gods thought she was flawless. I, born low, trying to do the right thing, tripped her up. She didn't crash all natural like that was me. So at the end of this, let me know if you think that's a tragedy. If her life is a tragedy. Apparently my life can't count. We'll take a second vote on it at the end. But gods help me. Well, no. No, they never have. Gods abandoned me. 
It's been 15 minutes and we're just at the starting positions. I'll hurry up. I'll start condensing. We have an hour and then some. I promise we'll make it to my funeral on schedule. So the fire, the big old fire 10 years ago, the market, the market at our gates had about 400 stalls. Each one had about three or four people working at it. Craftsmen, apprentice, salesmen, usually family units, right? Maybe an adopted or hired help. Quite a few were bigger. Quite a few had slaves. So we're talking... 10 years ago, let's be generous and call it about 1,200 people selling at the market. Not even counting the shoppers by. And the whole damn place caught fire. No, no, I'm wrong. See, the trouble was, enough of it didn't catch fire. No one knows where or how it started, whether some chef fucked us all sideways or some god did. Maybe wise Atelietos ran out of dead that morning and needed more to judge. Whatever, I don't know. But half the place is blazing but only half of it. So every person is full of hope that they can save their livelihoods or desperately afraid of poverty should they fail. Now there's seven wells at the market, 1,200 people trying to save themselves and seven wells and seven buckets to do it with. The butcher's elbowing the Fletcher. The herbalist is biting the Chandler. The tanner's spilled his vats on the tailor's cart to put the fire out. And the tailor is screaming because now his shit's all ruined. But that's not doing it justice. It's kind of silly to say a butcher or an herbalist. The myriad of scribes. The multitudinous sea of jewelers. The infinity of cabbage carters. It feels like each well is surrounded by a mad mob of desperate people with everything they are on the line. And maybe the afterlife is as great as they say, but no one wants to find out that exact moment. But, but, but... If you survive, how are you supposed to recover from the fire? It's death by fire, or it's death by a sudden and terminal case of poverty. There's wares to save, debts to pay, and the pig and weasel sent nobody. They were hung over and passed out. Weasel was arms deep in women he'd purchased with state Money, and everyone's always angry about his lechery, but God's abandoned me. I'm mad about the money. The first thing the weasel spent my tax money on was a one-night harem. Pig, apparently, was awake, but busy with hangover shits, if the rumors are true. So not an ounce of gold or an ounce of effort on their part the minute we needed them. Too preoccupied. Even now, people would blame the marketers for rioting. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. If you're that desperate, you need a hand. No individual can deal with a world on fire like that. They need the help there, and anyone who says otherwise needs to sit their ass down and remember who used to wipe it. Your parents sorted you out, then your friends, then your spouse, and you raise your kids knowing that they'll take care of you in return when you're blind and arthritic. We grow and thrive because people help each other out. That was the point of leaving the sea foam to crawl and build upon the beaches, help each other out, if you take nothing else away from my story. And if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, well, nobody helped me out, my life on the line, but I'm betting you're as bitter as shit about it. So you folks help each other out because you know how miserably rotten it is to never get a hand up in life. So, back to market. Everyone's panicking at the fire. I'm back on focus. Everyone's panicking. 
The pig and weasel have sent no one out, so a lot of folk die. I remember the numbers by heart. Out of 1,200 marketers, 312 die. About one in four. Out of however many fleeing shoppers, two dozen are stampeded to death, mostly children and elderly who don't move fast enough. Out of the dead, 67 are so badly burned we buried them in a mass grave. Couldn't sort out who was who. Couldn't even make out what was whose. Enough bones cracked and turned to dust in the heat that we couldn't assemble full skeletons and we didn't want to risk mixing and matching. And you know why I say we? Because I was there. I was there, and I did my damnedest to help. It's not about bragging, to be clear. I'm providing proof that I was a person who was interested in doing the right thing when this all started. I wanted to be a hero. I wanted to help because it's the right thing to do. And I wanted to help because I can still remember how fucking awful it was to be poor. To have to beg for help. I always offered first because people needed it, and it would be so disgusting to just sit there and wait for them to ask when you knew. And who else was we? What did we even do? So here's the start of the Croso Smith. It was his hired soldiers. They came to the square, shields interlocked to push and guide the panicked mob to the exits of the market. They had broken the tips off of their spears so they could prod folks in the right direction and never risk hurting someone. That's where the pointless nickname started. Used to be tongue-in-cheek, based on that part of the day in history. Later, it became the insult. Krosos looking like a demigod, though let me be clear, he wasn't. He's leading the pack. He's as deep in the flames and horror as anyone. His eyes are shining. He's holding his crest high and shouting commands and encouragement. He was a hero. He started out a hero. Now, I was at the market doing odd jobs, so when the fire broke out, I was trying to help. So when I see people who could actually make a change... People who were doing what the city soldiers were supposed to be doing? I just grabbed a broom and joined them. I looked like a joke. They were in uniform. Helmets on. The works. And here I am, dumb as it gets, with a broom and a filthy tunic I'd wore every single day for the three years prior. But I do my part. And it was about saving people what I did. But it was also about seeing Krosos. Being enamored with this larger-than-life man here to save the day about getting in his good graces, about moving up in the world when the nightmare ends. And we systematically pull down burning awnings with our sticks and stomp them out. We herd the fire, as it were. Don't let it spread, and we get people out, Krosos and I. We got our start together doing the right thing. Afterwards, when the nightmare is over and we've saved who we could and we counted the bodies and named the ones we could, that's when Krosos comes up to me. Realizing I'm out of place as it gets. Hey, Broom, he shouts, because he has no idea what my name is, and the nickname immediately sticks. Hey, Broom, thank you for helping, and he gives me three gold coins in thanks. More money than I've ever touched. And because I can't help but look gift horses in the mouth, I ask, why did you help? And because Krosos, you have to understand, folks, he beat people. He crushed spines and knees, but he didn't start out a liar. He answers, Goodwill. No one ever votes for me, no matter what policies I put forward. I figure these folks owe me their lives. I save them, they vote for me. I put my hands where my promises are. And I see it. Krosos is handsome, and he's rich. He fulfills his promises. 
And people might vote for him if he worked on it. I'm broke. I'm bent. I'm angry. The tribes would never vote for that. I mean, I was poor. That was the actual problem. But Krosos, I could work with. I just needed him to be cutthroat and ruthless. Because I learned the hard way, that's how you win politics. Well, ruthless and full of money. He was the latter. I'd make him the former. And that's where me ruining things started. Because I made the snap decision to turn his power hunger cynical. I laugh in his face, and I tell him three months from now the tribes would forget. They'd vote for whomever bribed and seduced them. Policies and heroism get you nowhere. Populism and cash do. And he says, intrigued by me for daring to laugh at him, I think, he says, I have cash. Can you make me popular? Broom. Sarcastically, he was mocking me. But I tell him I can. So that's part one. That's how we started together. Shit, no, that's not quite part one. Forgot something. Of the 312 that died, Eclaton V burns. Ecleta's father, he burnt. And the last of the family wealth burned with him at market. So Ecleta enters adulthood. She finds purpose in law. She becomes a part of this too. Great person brought low. So maybe it's a tragedy already. The fire lit under all our asses, as it were, to get us going. That's part one over with. Part two, the aftermath. The aftermath of the fire and the lack of state-sponsored help was riots. It starts like this. Everyone is praising Krosos, cursing out the pig and weasel. Ecleta, she's the loudest voice. She's turned driven. Her father went into the mass grave. They couldn't separate out his bones. And this is where her heroism starts. Twelve nights, and there's basically riots because of her. See, she walks out to the mass grave each day, painted in hearthfire ash, and demands justice from the gods. She isn't messing around. She went from the annoying kind of punk to the kind of punk I could groove with. I liked that. Her shouting at the gods and the pig and weasel. And they bring soldiers out to drag her in on that first day, but not for blaspheming. The first hour she's blaspheming and no one minds. I mean, I'm cheering her on even but she mentions pig and weasel. That bit of noise rushes up the Acropolis steps to their governing seats. That's when they send arms and armor to chase her away from the grave. So we all knew it was bullshit. Bruised ego bullshit. And Krosos gives me a chance. I promised I'd make him popular. He asked me what he should do about this display and about the soldiers shutting it down. And I tell him, grab the ash you've got in your hearth and rekindle it for round two. Go set all your fires alight. Make a shit ton of ash. Mix it with a bit of dirt for volume for all I care. But sell what she's doing. Get everyone involved. We paint his men in ash. We paint volunteers in ash. And I give Krosos a nice dramatic black brow. Enough to look like he's dirty. But not enough that you don't recognize him. And we co-opt. I think that's the term we settled on. We co-opt her grieving. She's the figurehead. And everyone remembers the distraught young woman who started the movement. But it's only a movement because when the soldiers make their way down the hill, Krosos and his men get their first protector. Lock shields. And let her continue wailing in despair. Krosos wants power. Now he's got it. Because you can't oppose the city council unless you have the public rooting for you. Otherwise, you disappear in the night and meet wise Ateliatos garroted and waterlogged from sinking under the pier. 
But the public loves Krosos for going two for two on the heroism. It cements him, gives him a legacy, gives him power. And he wouldn't have done it if I hadn't prompted him to. He was afraid to clash head on. He wanted to do nice guy shit on the side. I prompted him to just duke it out. You win fights when the mob loves you. When the mob fights for you. Our hearthfire mob throws torches through guardsmen's windows for us. And for 12 days, this continues. Krosos and his ash-faced mob protect the mourning daughter. At night, when it's not soldiers, when it's ruffians and assassins that come after her, Krosos is still there. He doesn't leave the mass grave either, because I'm sending him messages not to, and he believes me because all 12 days the city chanted his name in support, and he loved that. That's the lightning fast part two. Let's keep galloping. We have a lot to cover. Next part. So, 12 days, and the pig and weasel don't know what to do. And they make their big misplay. During these 12 days, they don't think about anything other than mourning Akleta. They don't somehow think about the other victims. I do. See, us poor folk, my tribe of landless, homeless men and women, we have each other's back. Because none of us can ever make rent, make food, recover from sickness at the same time. It's a constant game of begging favors and cashing in debts in one big circle. When you're riding high, you spread it around. You help Caspa with her rent. You give Daltus a quarter loaf of your bread. And you do that because you know life is going to kick you in the ass sometime soon. And next time you're vomiting with fever, Daltus covers you. Next time you come home well past midnight, sore and blistered, Caspa's left you a meal in the window. Because they know next time you'll have their back. That's how I grew up. Trading favors. Helping each other. Community. And you know what? I'm thinking that's what the marketplace lacked. No one had a system in place. No one knew or cared about anyone else. These folks were in the middle of a mob, but each of them all alone. All alone in the fight for life and livelihood. You ever watch a talented woman weave, everybody? Every thread gets as interlaced as possible. Not tangled. Interlaced. That was my next goal. Interlace myself. Well, interlace for Krosos. See, at this point... He's got the merchant's love, but I want to cement his votes in perpetuity. And I know that merchants are the lifeblood of this city. If I cement the grocers, I cement the farmers that supply them. If I cement the fishmongers, I cement the sailors. Krosos has the love of five market tribes. And I was going to use their love and their desperation to trickle down influence onto everyone else. I wonder how many in the audience remember me. This is the big place. This is the big place where my face was the public one. Towards the end of the 12 days of mourning, I grab Krosos' accountant, I grab his money, and I visit everyone who lost something in the market. Those folks were in deplorable circumstances, and the pig and weasel hadn't lifted a finger to help any of them. They were preoccupied, so I go, and I tell them, Krosos feels their pain and wants them to come out strong on the other side of it. I tell them Krosos knows how the market is our city's lifeblood. How Krosos wants this city to bounce back to its prideful feet and strive towards a better future. I give widows and widowers loans. I give orphans loans. I give next of kin loans. Half the standard interest. The accountant is panicking and palpitating, telling me I'm beggaring brave Krosos. I laughed. I told the accountant not to worry about it. I depleted his liquid capital by about 60%. But the guy owned land like no one's business. He'd find a way, I was certain. 
And I don't know what you folks know about usury, but these were loans. Risky loans, but Croesus would make most of his money back eventually, I thought. And luckily, time proved me right. And that money trickles down wonderfully. All these folks are using this money to buy cloth from the tailors, for new, colorful awnings to advertise their wares. They're using it to hire carpenters to make new stalls. They're buying new stock, hiring new apprentices to replace the ones killed or crippled. They're down. They must take our money. They can't say no. These people can't sit on this money. They have to restart with it. So it explodes outwards. And everyone knows who it's coming from. There's a big web of capital interlacing itself throughout the city underneath the pig and weasel's noses. And everyone knows Krosos is the spider. He's holding all the strings. So yeah, less than a month after the pig and weasel get elected, I'm breaking the law and I'm rigging elections. I had no license for usury, but not a single merchant gave up my name. No one kept receipts. No soldier was dumb enough to try to beat the answer out of the survivors of the market fire. Holy shit, could you imagine if they tried would have been open rebellion? Anyways, we get away with it. And we moved fast. And at the end of this blitz, we get even more good news. Akleta is leaving the city. I mean, people loved Krosos, but they would have voted for her instantly if she ran opposite. She was crazy young, but she had the better narrative. So for us, it's a blessing when we hear about it. Ithesis called on Akleta to leave the city. She stopped mourning after 12 days because she got a divine vision. She saw the gods. Ithesis sends her to find the lost golden spear of Caius, to return to the city and slay tyrants with it. Krosos was short-sighted and I was naive. We thought she'd be back for Lucos and practice. We didn't realize Ithesis meant us. But I want to be clear. I've spoken hatefully of the gods. This isn't why. I'm not salted and seared because Ithesis came after me. I hated her long before she did. See, Ithesis, she's the goddess of metalwork and justice, but I never bought that. She who crafts the chain with which to bind the guilty. Bullshit. Listen to her stories. Her own son, the one she made with her own hands, conquering Drakai, does what his mama built him for, and near single-handedly wins the battle for the dawn. Apparently, in doing so, he stole his mother's glory. So when he's drunk and celebrating, she takes her tools and severs his right arm. And what the fuck is glory anyways? It's not solid. It's not even a song or a story. You can't steal something both intangible and unwritten. Bullshit. Vanity. And then there's the business with Periesta. The goddess of love goes and dare to imagine this. Grants mortals the power to love one another. Love one another so that we could rise from the mud, hand in hand, and form our tribes, live in unison. Apparently, loving, that's for the gods. We were supposed to love the gods, not each other. So Ithesis cuts out Periaista's eyes so that love is blind. And she draws the holy metal from Periaista's blood and smiths jealousy, lust, and heartache so that us tribal monkeys can go and hate and kill each other. That isn't justice. That's insanity. Ithesis is born so high and mighty, she decides we must love none other than her. She decides she's so far above us, she can tell us how to feel, what to think, how to be. We never voted for her. What gives her the right? Can you all imagine not loving your sons and daughters? 
does no one else feel like that would be the worst? The actual unequivocal worst. No one? Show of hands. Who here think? Never mind. Never mind. We're not here to vote about Ithesis. I'm just saying loud and clear, I hated Ithesis before she set Ecleta on a divine path to kill Krosos and I. It didn't ever work. I'm standing here in front of you confessing I got away. So that's not what I hate her for. Ah, oh, man, what part am I even on? Ecleta's left the city. The two of us were breaking the rules. Right, right. Onwards. Krosos ascending. How Krosos ascended and became tyrant. Part next. Whichever number. Akleta leaves, speaking of coming back to slay tyrants on the commandment of the gods. Pig and Weasel are mighty scared, paranoid. And a month into their paranoia, they find out that a rich outsider to their politic has just up and bought the city. Lent money to thousands of people, hundreds of businesses. Whole tribes owe him cash. If the rumors were to be believed. And they were, indeed, to be believed. They start digging, learning, sending out spies. Krosos kept them from killing Ecleta. They confirm he's buying folk, and now what's he up to? He and I are working miracles with the down-and-out tribes. We don't even have to lend them money this time. We just promise them the opportunity for money if they cooperate with us. I wanted to just let it rain gold, but apparently Krosos had a limit on how much of his gold I could lend away. Shame. And... This is the place I really start losing myself. My morality, I think, in hindsight. Because last time, lending to people was buying their vote, but it was helping victims. It was a form of charity and social work. Promises of money in the future are not social works. You can't eat tomorrow's bread. Politicians promising you the moon without an inch of rope with which to snag it. That's where evil comes slipping in past the door jam. Krosos thinks we also need to buy the lords. Turns out, that's what he tried to keep the last of his money for. I have no intention of doing that. The rich never benefit from revolution. They're fucking terrified of change. But he throws them large parties, throws festivals and games. Dumbass. The other rich folk already hate him because they know the game he's playing. And the other rich threw their lot in with the pagan weasel. Krosos convinces, what, five of the lordly peers to back him out of near 200? Dumbass waste of our money. But the spider web of gold spreads. The entire time, Pig and Weasel are trying to put the screws to the flies we've caught. They try to shut down businessmen who speak in praises of Krosos. They break up charity events I'm hosting. Publicly evil shit. Sloppy. Don't be a thug in broad daylight, folks. It's very bad optics. Anyway, the big mistake that triggers it all comes next. The Harvest Festival comes rolling in, and everyone's at the forum, drinking and eating, and it's wonderful. No one goes hungry. A shame we can do that only three nights a year. Pathetic. But do you folks remember that third night? Offerings to Acacius and his sea, offerings to Ithesis and her sky, offering to conquering Drakai and his earth... Offering to Demadia and her fields, offering to Dosos and his forests. And then comes the smaller offerings to the heroes of the city. It's an orderly pipeline throwing perfectly good stuff in the fire for gods who don't care, and only after that giving small boons to the people who actually deserve it. Each tribe's picked a hero and gives them an offering. Smiths got pots and pans, tailors have purple and gold bolts of cloth, the warriors have a lion's pelt. And the impossible happens. 
Now, a few tribes got a gift for their elder or a peer they're close with. The rest, 15 tribes, a comfortable majority, we've arranged ourselves, lay their gifts at Krosos's feet. They have to make a line of gifts because it started stacking so high you couldn't see the man. He's got a conga line of supplicants. You want to know who got zilch? Pig and weasel. Victory. City's de facto ours. Pig gets mad. Weasel tries to hold him back, but Pig is twice his size and red hot angry and red cheeks drunk. Pig comes up to Krosos's pile, whips out his spout, and without a word, dude's so angry he can't say a word, just starts pissing on the gifts. That's his big boy idea to flaunt power he doesn't even have. The whole forum just goes silent. You could hear his piss bouncing off the smith's pots from the furthest stretches of the place. That of piss landing on the lion's pelt and soaking into its mane. How many of you were there? How many of you remember those three seconds? You know which ones. The bum bum, bum bum, bum bum. We all heard knowing the world was ending. The bum bumps of our hearts all playing out in slow motion. Then the fourth beat comes. The minute we reach the count of four, it's a riot. Boom! That riot started faster than dogs leaping from the kennel. It started faster than a hummingbird's wings. It started faster than lightning strikes. Bump, bump! And the forum is at war. Gods above, gods below, and demons undulating sideways. That riot reached fever pitch in an instant. Pig gets thrown to the floor. The rich retreat and try to save themselves. The merchants tear apart the forum, taking everything the pig and weasel ever owned and tossing it in the fire for revenge of their wasted gifts. The poor, they know what this kind of violence means. It's a free pass to settle scores with the high and mighty who've been putting the boot to their back. The city roars and rages all night. Two days later, and it quiets down and we start accounting for the dead. The soldiers of the high and mighty did their best and they got their brains dashed out with dinner plates and throats slit with sacrificial knives. I feel bad for the few who surrendered and got beat to death by a mob who couldn't listen. I don't feel bad for those who tried to save Lucos and Proctus. And I extra don't feel bad for the sniveling peers who got thrown in the fire. Spend decades reaping what others sow, the scythes and sickles will eventually find you. Fuck them. The weasel made it out alive and declared a martial emergency when he heard the pig literally had the flesh torn from his bones by angry craftsmen. I hate Ithesis, but props to her pot boys and coal women. You got them good. But the fire that got people going died out as state beatings started and troops were recalled from the surrounding forts to break anyone and everyone into submission. Krosos had to go into hiding, curfew gets installed, the merchants are banned from setting up market, the weasel has the city in a stranglehold and doesn't know what to do. He's panicking because he's got his hand on all our collars, but he knows us dogs will maul him the moment he lets go. And Krosos comes to me and says, Broom, you got a plan? And I do. How many of you heard from me in those days after? Or from my messengers? The plan was set. The weasel wanted a quiet, peaceful, and serene city. We'd give it to him. Easy as cake. I coordinate with the tribal leaders. 
The orders move out and everyone acts in unity. Five nights after the riot, Weasel wakes up to less than half his city. The 15 tribes that gave Krosos gifts have all, to the last woman and child, left the city. We quietly and politely left out the city gates and the guards let us pass in terror for their lives. And others join us too. Be it shit-stirrers looking for a show, to people who have had it up to here with Lucos and Proctus, but we haven't bought yet. People join, because when you see that many feet on the march, you get curious, and you want to be part of something. We never counted, but at least 18 tribes in full, and other stragglers too, left the city. We sat outside the city gates, our backs turned to it, refused to move, to work, to let the city live again. We bring civilization to a grinding Halt. I hope you all remember. All of us on the beach. Peaceful. It was beautiful. That was a triumph for me. I fucked up a lot in my life, but that was a triumph. Coming together in unison and saying this isn't working. Deciding we need change and refusing to budge or surrender till we got it. We brought all of civilization to a grinding halt. After three days of this, the weasel resigns. The next time the forum meets, it's a formality. We know how this goes. Crosso sweeps the vote like no one's swept it before, making me a very proud broom. Almost 20 tribes. The landowners and the moneylenders abstain. The bureaucrats put forward a candidate, and no one even remembers his name. Crosso's triumphs uncontested. He doesn't even have to form a coalition. And that was the big fuck-up. Or one of several, really. But that's the big, big one. I thought my rich guy would be different. I thought he'd listen to me because I gave him the first solitary crown in near 400 years. I thought he'd keep his promises. Not a smart assumption on my part. See, it turns out, when he was rich and out, he didn't want in to change the world or even the city. He wanted it to be the exact same. He was jealous of how Eclaton's brood got to behave. Power doesn't corrupt, folks. Don't let anyone lie to you about that. Such people are rotten from the start. Me too. The idea that I could just use his wealth was rotten from the start. That I could change the world playing that same manipulative game. Rotten. And you know what Eclata was doing that whole time? Sorry for leaping to the other side of the river. Just wanted to make sure we're following both narratives. Akleta wrestles a 30-foot-tall man made of stone. She outwits the Viper Queen of Utrai. She befriends a horse made of the desert wind. She slays an army of the thrice-damned dead and retrieves her spear. A love-spurned wizard ensorcels her boat so that it would take her eight years or so to return home. Wild stuff, I'm told. I don't know how that all went. I don't have the exciting details. That's just the stories I've heard secondhand. I'm not going to recount them. You all loved her and heard those stories before. But now you see the arithmetic. Krosos took nine months to wrest control of the city. And he had eight years to do as he pleased. And like a fool, I stuck around, thinking I could guide his hand to better deeds. All that came next was compromise and corruption. Failure. Utter failure on my part. What did we not achieve? Didn't free the slaves. Fuck you all for that one. Not a single tribe wanted in on basic decency. I know because I had to ask behind Krosos' back when he refused to entertain the notion. I'll die on this hill. Hang me for it. Free your slaves, you miserable butt. Whatever. 
you won't. If the gods weren't worthless, they'd scour this city of free men and give it to the slaves. We didn't house the homeless or landless. Didn't even house the retired city guard or the veterans. Reduced to their taxes by 10% of their current rent. What a success story. Stunning statecraft. The aristocracy quaked in its gold-studded boots. Didn't break any moneylender kneecaps. Real shame about that, but what should I have expected? I'd turned Krosos into a moneylender himself. I was a moneylender myself. Maybe if I had volunteered to lose the first limb, I could have gotten the rest of the sharks lined up behind me. Krosos cut budgets for religious ceremonies. I thought I'd be happy about that one. Except he cut the money for the festivals and charity. Our city is still paying the priest their wage and baking their bread. They didn't even vote for him. If any priests have stuck around through my blaspheming, congratulations on the deal your tribe got. Every chance to skew things back in the favor of the people who actually built this city was wasted. No helping out the farmers, the masons, the carpenters. Helped the grocers and the butchers, but only two years into famine after the drought started. There were literally no other options at that point. We came in and saved everyone two years late. The gods had their vengeance on me, I guess for ushering out the last of Eclaton's descendants. I watched Krosos turn on me faster than a spun coin. I bored and annoyed him. I was his election consultant, apparently. Not a policy consultant. I should have betrayed him after that comment, not eight years after. And why didn't I? Because I got played and used. Krosos was more cunning than I thought at the time. He kept giving me side projects. Feed the hungry. And I'd do it. Because that's the humane and reasonable thing to do. Children shouldn't starve. I remembered the pain of growing up on an empty belly. So I took his command and leveraged everything I had. It wasn't my money I was lending back in the day, but I'd been the face of the operation. I'd met hundreds of people from every tribe. No reputation or anything, but a familiar face. Talked to everyone and anyone about pitching in their charity. My volunteers and I work ourselves to the bone for three years, securing funding, spaces, donors, temples, and noblemen to help us to publicize and push. We manage to spread some grain around. Funny, isn't it? Something as complex as regime change got done in about six months. Something as simple as feeding starving children took three whole years. And I get to that finish line and I look back with pride and the wind leaps out of my sails because I realized that Krosos hadn't helped a bit. I was his extension under the law. Technically, technically, this achievement was his, but not a finger was lifted. Not a coin of his was offered. And I crawl back to him because I'm stupid. And I think I can change his mind. I tell him, look, look at all the good we've done. Look at what we scraped together from the twigs and twine. You give me a handful of coins, I could do so much better. And he doesn't react. He just gives me another assignment. Get the orphans off the streets. More long nights, more empty purses. But hey, I was doing good, right? It was hard, but I was finally in the position to do good. So it didn't matter that there were so many obstacles. The state gave me permission to knock on people's doors and beg. I was blind to how pathetic it was. Just blind. And then re-election time comes around, and suddenly, we're friends again. Krosos parades around bragging about what I've done, and I think he's proud of us doing good. I think he's finally seeing what we, not I, 
I had other volunteers who I won't name, so you can't hang them by association. I think he's finally seeing what we'd accomplished. But the projections this time don't look so good. Not enough tribes got their promised favors. Not enough people are enamored with the deeds he forgot to accomplish. People are creeped out because the city guard is all comprised of his former soldiers or their friends. He'd given the boot to any officer not indebted to him by the time we got to the next election. People are rightfully creeped out. He's got the police in his pocket. And Krosos offers me the moon. Says he'll follow through and won't ignore me. I just have to get him reelected one more time. And I'm skeptical, but not enough. He cuts his palm and shakes mine, gives me a blood oath he'll actually make use of the office this time. The state will be generous. He promises the state will change. That's why I betrayed him, everyone. That's why he gave me his blood oath with a smile on his face, and he lied. The man lied. Not just to me. Please see that. Not just to me. He lied to all of us. He lied to the city. He lied to justice herself, to kindness himself. And that's why I poisoned him. Really, not out of ego. Out of shame for the worthless creature he'd become, the worthless monarch I made him. But I'm skipping the second election. Four and a half years into his rule, he's got a lukewarm rep. Talk amongst yourselves. Confess to each other who got bribed with what. History will eventually get written down correctly. You all know. Krosos also extorted, threatened... His goons started fights in the streets, wearing bright red little badges, patrolling around like a mob, but smiling. Proud and smiling. People got hurt. The mob re-elected him. The proud, the boisterous. Fools, you know who you are out there in the crowd. Confess when it's your turn to. Admit what you did in his name. It takes a village to crown a monster. Guys, I have 20 minutes left to sort it out. I wanted to bring this to a climax. Build it. Here I am, running out of time again. Running out of time to do things right, which is a running theme for my efforts at politics. But I want a specific vignette. Do I have the precious minutes for a specific vignette? How many of you knew Pella? You all did. Don't act dumb. Lovely woman. Good friend of mine, despite the difference in our ages. She didn't come out and run against him. She could have. She was the head of the healer's tribe. She had the status. Start some kind of ball rolling. And she was complaining. She was treating people for free because she'd bought her own land, grew her own food. She was self-sufficient and volunteered everything she had to spare. She was a good person. And she wasn't going to sit by while Krosos greedily gobbled everything down his gullet. When she started speaking out, talking about how the rest of us were doing worse while Krosos and his friends were drinking the finest wines, do you remember? How many of you realizing how deep we were in the mire nodded along? Those of you who nodded along and agreed, did you do anything? Did you do anything when Krosos' soldiers with their untipped spears beat her sons? No puncture wounds, no slashes, no stabs. You'd think it'd be a blessing. No. Their staves and batons cracked ribs, splintered teeth, blacked eyes, bruised flesh. Do you remember her boys' names? I remember. Fellow citizens, children, Igamon. Lame in his right leg, blind in his right eye, now wears prosthetic teeth. He was 14 when they beat him. Theo was 12. Brought home on a stretcher and vomited blood on Pella's carpet. Theo's back is still crooked. They beat a 12-year-old boy so hard he vomited blood. Did any of you do a thing when the guardsmen beat her sons? Did you vote for someone new? I didn't. 
I hate myself because I didn't. That was the biggest mistake. Hearing it, brushing it away because I was doing good, and because Krosos knew where I lived, where my father lived. We're all cowards together, it seemed. Pella. Igamon Theo. I can't see you. If, you. if you're in the forum tonight, vote to hang me. Please vote to hang me. I couldn't bear the weight of your forgiveness. Hang me. But this is too dark. We don't want to remember just how bleak he got. With Krosos in charge, back to the intrigue. The look behind the curtain. I'll continue with the drama. No need to recount the names of all the children that got beat. Let's go to Akleta. Let's go to the wronged daughter bringing justice. That's uplifting. Anyhow, where did we leave Akleta? Uh, yeah, we covered her adventures. Well, she lands back on our shores, and she hears all about Krosos. The man who once saved her. You know, from her perspective, this really might be a grand tragedy. She should be up here speaking. I mean, this Krosos guy spends 12 days at her side as she grieves for her father. His men surround her with their shields, save her life. She runs off on a mission from goddess Ithesis, and this guy promises her to hold the fort down to do what he can, do what he can, so that when she returns... He'll help her claim her ultimate destiny. She comes back soaked in sea salt. Twelve angry gods on her heels. And Ithesis tells her, hey, that Krosos guy, he's who I meant. Spear that guy. Spear the guy who saved you. Wowza. Great story. She's here on our shores, and she hears what we did. And she swears she'll rip him and his lackeys from the High Council. She swears she'll be the change that we need. That Ithesis will guide her hand and she will single-handedly smith us a utopia. But I'm left to wonder if it's the office, as it were, because she's promising what he promised me. Almost word for word, so I'm left wondering if she can really change things. Maybe the whole system's rotten. I figure that after I hang, whichever confederacy of fools is in charge next might be just as bad. Whomever gets elected next, if they're awful too, it's time we change the way we run this city. Anyways, I wanted the pig and weasel dead for these promises they never meant to keep. And I poisoned Krosos because of the promises he never meant to keep. And I didn't even give Akleta a chance to show she never meant to keep him. Because here's the part where I'm going to be making the leap. Some of you aren't comfortable with that leap, but I'm making it. Eclaton, his children, Lucos, Proctus, Krosos, and Ecleta promised homes to the homeless. Support for veterans, a dole, food for every child so none go hungry, a core of public doctors to treat the sick of the city, no more dumping our piss and shit in the rivers so we can drink the water Acacius gifted us. Here's the hard truth. The big jump. Every man, woman, or child who starves to death or freezes to death on the street, their blood is on our hands. We had the money to help, and we love and vote for those who promise to help. We hear their words, and we vote for them in return. These failures aren't tragedies. These were murders. We elect them to build a better society, build a healthier and more beautiful people and city. They take our votes and our money. And they don't save a soul. And every time we fall for these promises, no one ever keeps. The market fire of long ago had nothing on tyrannical indifference. Nothing on the rulers we don't just tolerate. These monsters we cheer for. Something must change. We must 
change. So, that's what Akleta hears about when she lands. About Krosos being the same as Eklaton, the same as his children, the same as Proctus and Lukos. As an outsider to the city, she's been gone so long, she doesn't recognize it for the callousness and cruelty. She finds her people weak and hungry. She makes a public display on the beach about how different the place once was, how she'll turn things around. She promises these same promises. And that's when I started hating her, too. See, I'd been working myself to the bone to change this place. Of course, it's different, but in small and inconsequential ways. There's some more food to go around. There's more volunteers to give a helping hand. But good and honest people were also demoted, disgraced, disregarded, beaten, maybe some killed. I refuse to look those facts in the eye. It's just a tiny bit different with Krosos in charge. It's the same old city, pigging out at our expense and weaseling out of progress. These promises never turn out when the rich and destined and powerful and ruthless make them. Ithesis, Lady of Bronze and Lady of Justice, gave Akleta a spear and told her to do something. So rose-eyed Akleta decides she's going to murder Krosos. And I'm at the city wall looking at her, screaming her naivete for all the world to hear. And I'm caught between a rock and a hard place. I'm caught between Krosos, who changed nothing, and Ithesis, who dragged us all back. She says she'll change things, but she's just gonna drag us back. It's part of her blue blood, back to the descendants of Atreus and Eclaton, back to a dynasty of murderers. And what kind of choice is that for me to try and make? Well, like I said before, I poison Krosos. He decides he will do battle with her. He hears her screaming up at our walls and makes the decision to go out to the beach and smash her skull in himself. He thinks this will make him look strong, thinks this will make the city love him again. Insane how unaware he became. He comes to ask me if it's the right move. He remembers how this started. My advice on Akleta got him elected. Maybe my advice will save him from the wrath of Ithesis. Except the entire time he won't listen to me. Because he has an answer he wants me to say, and he won't accept a different one. So I don't even bother trying to speak sense to him. I agree. I tell him to go put his boot to Ekleta's head, and grind her teeth into the coral and shoals. And I offer him a toast to his assured victory. After all, she's just a girl, right? He can't conceive that eight years away from home had made her a woman, a strong and dangerous woman. We toast to his victory, and I lace his cup with herbs I had purchased from Pella. Don't get mad at her. I want to be very clear. She didn't know. I bought them unmixed and unprepared. She didn't know. She had nothing to do with it. Don't punish her. But I thought it'd be beautiful. Plants from Pella's little garden being the undoing of the man who'd assaulted her children. Krosos intends to go duel and crush Akleta the next morning, and I grin because I know when he gets to the beach tomorrow, he's in for trouble. His muscles will spasm, his jaw will clench, his ice-cold sweat will drip across skin as hot as hearthstones. Now, I could have just slipped him a lethal dose, but then there would have been investigating, there would have been a mess. And three weeks ago, my resolve was different. There wasn't as much guilt, not nearly as much guilt. I was content to watch him die, spear through his heart, with everything he stood for crumbling around him. I couldn't peel myself away from the divine poetry of it. As much as I despised Ithesis, it was too grand, really, for me to deny it. But, like I mentioned, I was sitting on that razor-thin fence, 
So what more is there to tell? Well, the truth. You all thought you saw it three weeks ago, spectating from the walls. Or hearing the folks on the walls shout the play-by-play down to you. You thought he went out there, armored and armed, and got speared. Then, one of his anguished soldiers, in despair, fired an arrow from the walls. A lackey of his broke the divine law of the duel and fired a shot in vengeance. Didn't kill Akleta outright, but her arrow wound festered, and here we are. No tyrant, no queen. Not what happened. This is the moment. Really, the tell-all. Here's what happened three weeks ago, and the core of this confession. Krosos never left the city walls, and someone else died in his place, for starters. I bet that's a revelation of most of you. Maybe twelve of his guards knew. Now you all know. He wakes up that morning sick as a dog. Apparently, he didn't suspect me. It was a more logical conclusion to suspect Ithesis had put her hand on the scale. Called in some favors, got an evil spirit or two involved. Stacked the deck. But he decides to dress up proud Akalon, the head of his house guard and a much better fighter in his arms and armor. No one could tell. Not with a helmet on and at a distance. Deceit to answer deceit. So we're all on the walls. It takes all the warriors, mercenaries, and men-at-arms in the city to keep the crowd in line for this event. Akalon, in disguise and flanked by 30 soldiers, makes his way down to the beach. No one else is allowed out of the city. The waves recede as if Acacius is holding his breath. The wind stops because Ithesis suspects foul play. The world stops to watch fate resolve itself on the sand. The soldiers circle round... The duel starts, and proud Akalon is holding his father's axe, Ha'ada. It feels so strange tossing in these details so offhand, as if Ha'ada isn't the greatest artifact of war mankind has ever made. An axe storied in its history, twice enchanted, old as the city itself. The axe that felled a hundred trees so that our first walls could be built. The axe that spilled blood of one thousand Morenians. Akalon thinks this axe can match the spear of Caius. Maybe he was right. Or maybe there's a tragic story in there for him. Ancestral human power shattered under arcane godly magics. I don't know. But it's irrelevant to all of us. As important as it might have been to Akalon, as storied as the weapons may be, it's the combatants that mattered now. The soldiers circle round... The terms are declared, and our whole world is watching, it feels like. Krosos and I are watching from the walls, about 90 feet to the right of the gate. Krosos is shaking, pale, miserable, disguised in the garments and gear of the lowliest guardsman, wearing a false beard. I smuggled him in there, through the back streets I learned so well back when I was homeless. Only I know it's him. He's got a bowstrung. All the guards have a bowstrung, pointed at the crowd to keep anyone from trying to break through and help Akleta from climbing down and interfering, so it doesn't look odd, but I know it is. Krosos isn't watching the crowd. If none of you knew, by the way, the man is an amazing shot. And when I notice how he's not acting along, not policing like his role demands he play it, it clicks. Sick and poisoned as he is, he's taking no chances. If Akleta survives the duel and survives the 30 soldiers enforcing the boundaries of the duel, Krosos intends to just shoot her. A final contingency should fate fail him twice. The soldiers are circled. Oh, gods, I've said that three times? I'm sorry. The duel's terms are read, and each champion has a chance to speak. Fake Krosos declines, so none might notice the change of voice. 
Ecleta shouts, and Ithesus carries her voice on the wind, and we hear her say, I will kill you, Krosos, and I will be a just and righteous queen. Exactly what she needed to fill me with bile, hate, and doubt. I wanted her to kill Krosos, but I won't accept a queen. I don't care. I don't care if the gods appointed her fuck monarchists to the last of them, human or divine. I turned to Krosos with his arrow already knocked. I'm not taking chances either. I pull out my herbs and toxins and I whisper to him. I poison his arrow tip and join in his conspiracy. That is how she died. The wound festered because I willed it to. Like him, I'd take no chances. Blame me. Pella's plants were grown to heal. This is what I did with them. Blame me. The duel begins. It's a fast affair, right? Was it just me or was it the same to all you who watched it? Blinked and almost missed it. The spear of Caius shatters Ha'ada as if it was nothing, less than nothing. The next blow punctures through Akalon's shield as if it were made of sackcloth. Akalon dies and everyone's about to cheer her victory. But you all notice it's not going right. The soldiers who gave them the duel's perimeter don't stand down. They level their staves, spear points newly added. Advance on her, she slaughters them all single-handedly. Her primal roar of victory pierces the heavens, and again the crowd takes in a breath to cheer, but Krosos ruins it. Takes a moment's aim, no one even sees him do it, he fires. His eyes buzzed, his fingers jittered, his arms swayed from the poison, but... But that man is nothing if not ruthless. The arrow flies true. And I don't know how it happened like it did. I can't speak for the gods. I was not in the heavens with them. Maybe Ithesis was distracted, wine cup to her lips. Maybe she was bragging to her fellow immortals, but her wind comes a moment too late, a second too late, to save her chosen champion. A gust of wind blows. Tries its best, but the arrow does not budge, strikes her right above the stomach. Krosos aimed for her kidneys, for her liver, a place no helmet can deflect, a place where death would come slowly and painfully blood-rotting. A miracle worker could have saved her. And we have a few of those in this city, but then there was my poison. Between the two of us, Akleta would not live. The shock was too much, do you remember it? The stunned silence as everyone tried to understand, to see what had cut off her roaring, what had silenced her in victory. Just a drawn-out moment of silence and confusion and despair. And Krosos turns to me and whispers, Broom, we've done it, we got her. And he leans over just over the edge of the parapet to inspect his work, and I think to myself... That's one tyrant taken care of. Here comes the second. Pop. And I push that corrupt shit heel over the edge. That's right, everyone. The mystery Avenger that shoved the anguished archer over the walls was me. That was me. And Krosos lands. Splat. Well, no, it's not a splat. It's sand below, not bricks. But he lands all tangled in the sand with a Whomp, really. Limbs bent out of shape, screaming in pain. Akleta, with a toss the gods themselves would envy, throws the spear of Caius and nails him to the walls. I'm not sure if he was a corpse already after hitting the ground. 
but he was definitely dead and done with after that spear blew a hole through his black heart. So, yeah, those are the sins. I killed the two of them, or damn well had a bigger hand in it. And that brings us up to some kind of speed. The healers of this city try and save Akleta, frothing at the mouth, screaming in pain. She's brought into the city, and our healers try their best. And Pella, tribal chief of the healers, prays and tries to work miracles. She thinks she could have succeeded, she told me, if it wasn't for the poison. Akleta dies after four days of excruciating pain, and the city mourns. The city mourns, and I try to celebrate. I have single-handedly saved this city from tyranny on both sides of the fence. I've done it. I've succeeded. And it feels so hollow. And my ideals eat away at me. I resented any man or woman who thought they were above us, above the citizens of the city, who thought they could make a decision for one and all by themselves, who were so arrogant as to think they knew the answer, who would dare to say that the public choice was theirs alone to make. I had sworn to protect the voices of the many, but I acted alone. I had decided alone. No vote, no democracy, no will of the people. I'm fucking despicable. Really, just up and decided I knew best. Spent years being the boot, killed two people. Subverted the will of men and women. Shit, man, for a guy nicknamed Broom, I made a massive mess instead of sweeping this city nice and clean. So I confessed to Pella. I confessed to the other movers and shakers who I had worked with for so long behind the scenes. They arranged the meeting of this forum, and here we are. Three weeks after I murdered two people, here we are. And it feels pathetic that I want this vote, that I want absolution for straying so far from my ideals, as if I could pull all this forum back in time and have them approve of my misdeeds, to make it as if I didn't betray democracy. This is probably self-indulgence, but I wanted the truth out here. It feels right to have the truth out here, because from now on, I want this city to be honest, to decide its own fate. No more tyrants or shadow puppeteers. Fucking vote. Take power back to yourselves, starting with this vote. Vote on whether I join my two fellow tyrants in death. And I won't lie, I'm scared. There's so much that feels unsaid. I could eat up hours more, filling in more details, but that's cowardice. I won't buy ten more minutes of life by wasting all your time. I'll be cast into eternal punishment by the very gods I hate. It's not as if ten minutes matters. And I don't care what the gods say. This is it. This is the part that matters. What matters is your human judgment. The city's judgment. Would you have done what I did? Did I make the right choice? What else could I have done? I don't know. I don't know. So without further ado, a show of hands and hangman's rope. Life or death, fellow citizens. Please, vote. Thank you for listening to A Show of Hands. The next episode of this audio novella series, titled Through the Storm, will be releasing Monday, March 2nd. Fantasy counterprogramming takes artists seriously. All artists involved in this episode were compensated for their work. 
FCP will never ask artists to volunteer their time or work for free. You can find links to this episode's artists' other work in the description below. If you enjoyed this episode, we ask that you please like, share, subscribe, engage with it on social media. If only 137 people listen to this episode within the first 30 days of its release, it will stand in the 51st percentile for podcast popularity. We'd greatly appreciate it if you could spread the word and help us reach this goal. Thank you. See you March 2nd.